Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo. Hello. Kenan. Hey, how? I just had a Domino's pizza contactless. So you may have to take over. I'll probably be asleep in about 20 minutes. <laughs> you, <laughs> this is now Panic with in- Friends with <laughs> Kenan Jensen. So does conflict contactless mean you inhaled it? Basically, it was like a drone strike. They came to the front door here and they laid down like they a box. They threw it at you. No, there was like a pillow box in it, you know, whatever. My, my pillow is right. delivered in a my pillow from Trump. And uh, I pulled the pizza out. I was scared to go in there. I thought it was an explosive. <laughs> and turns out, really, turns out a Domino's pizza is kind of explosive because in about 30 minutes, I'll be in the bathroom. That's what I was thinking, yeah. yeah it's an incendiary device. We had, <laughs> we had a meat lover's pizza. Let me just tell you it's love on the way in, hate on the way out. <laughs> oh on that God. note, we're going to talk to Sean Park today, who's got a good sense of humor. He's uh, an ex-banker, a uh, Canadian living in Switzerland. Ah, danke. I don't know, that's German. No, they speak German in Switzerland yeah, as well. they do. Those bastards. And the, French. And Italian. You dead? No. The... Um, no, I'm literally going to fall asleep. I feel the pizza. Like, you know, you can feel it. I feel it like in my esophagus. The, uh, the, and he's a fintech investor over in Europa, which is, it's got to be worse than here. I mean, it was already terrible to do business in Europe in a way. And so we're going to get a lay of the landscape in fintech land. He's a great fintech investor, banker, uh, investor, derivatives, man of the land. And uh, we do a lot of deals with Anthemus. And he's an LP in our fund. So we're going to get Sean on the phone. And he has a ponytail. And he has good hair. So we're going to do Manscaped today. Good idea. Yeah. He's a Manscaped type of guy. I'm going to do different ads depending on the guest. <laughs> You're like a Domino's guy. If I, were to inter- inter- if I was to interview you, it'd be Domino's and oil. An oil <laughs> ad. Oil had a good day to up 20%. Oh, wow. You know? Well, so it's up to $4 a day. <laughs> it's $25 a barrel. I mean, it's so hard to look at the market. All right, Manscaped copy that they wrote just for me. Portfolio company. Growing really fast despite COVID. So uh, people are grooming, which is nice to see. People are at home. There's no one to groom for, yet they're grooming more than ever. Very interesting. People go out in the world, they don't groom. They stay home, they groom. The, uh, I want you to take a second and look down. Yes, you, Knut. When was the last time you shaved your junk? It's been a while. Don't lie. Manscaped holds you accountable to get rid of the funk and to shave your junk. Grooming is essential nowadays, but I know a lot of you are still hesitant to manscape. You're afraid you may cut yourself. Understandable. That's why this revolutionary company has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 3.0 features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. So this trimmer won't nick or snag your skin or balls. Take my advice and go to Manscaped. Take all my advice. But this time, take this advice. Go to Manscaped.com. Uh, I'm going to spell it like a politician. Q-F-G-H-O-A-X.com. 
No, that's Manscaped, M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com. And try the Lawnmower 3.0. Use social leverage for a 20% discount and free shipping. Let's get Sean Park on WhatsApp. Hello? Sean Park, you're on the air. Hey, how are you, Howard? How are you? I'm all right. Where are I'm, you today? In You're in Switzerland? I'm in, no, I'm in France, actually. Oh, my goodness. I'm in the mountains. Oh, you're hidden up in the, I never get to come there. Everybody goes but me. Yeah, exactly. That's because you don't like us. I. It's not that I don't like you. It's just, it always coincides with like my Italy, not that now we already sound like assholes, but it coincides with, <laughs> coincides with my yacht trips to the yes. Bahamas. No, it's just my one trip a year to Europe because, you know, I'm just a small VC, not a large one like you. I can only have one trip to Europa. <laughs> I, uh, it always coincides with my one trip to gay Italy. And uh, oh, things may change this year for events. I mean, obviously we canceled our event. So yeah, no, we're, we're at Mirabel today or are you yeah. nearby? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think, I think this year we'll have to be a pass. Um, we're, it doesn't, um, it, it doesn't look likely. So, um, uh, which was kind of unfortunate cause the, just right after the tour de France was supposed to come through. I don't know if they've announced yet the tour de France. I, I guess they must be, I don't know if they've announced anything. I haven't checked. This was going to be my year to come to your event too. So, uh, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of checking my email every day because I don't think I'm going to go to Italy. I don't think my wife will let me go to Italy and I can't wait to go to Italy. I mean, it's probably going to be safer than anywhere else. You know, the Italians are clean. This was just a one-off. Yeah, exactly. It's a It'll one-off. It's a perfect storm. So, so what's going on in the mountains? Uh, well, actually, um, this is the wonder of modern technology. Um, it's, you know, I didn't wouldn't say it's business as usual, but certainly business. Um, Correct. And actually, the days are days are a bit longer and fuller because everybody. This is my theory. Everybody knows that everybody else is stuck in front of their screen. Absolutely. And so things just go one after the other, whereas normal life you're traveling a bit or even if you're in one place you might go out for a meeting or a coffee or there's sort of breaks and now it's just back to back to back to back oh back to back normal like in real life my real world you're like 10th call you're 50th yeah and that doesn't mean that you're the bad friend it means like man i forgot i have friends like there's so much time <laughs> on my hand like i'm eating jello mac and cheese cereal i'm like i'm 11 years old again with 70 hour days because yeah. i'm not traveling yeah. And I'm in no rush to travel. Now, I was saying this, I'm having this phenomenon because you've put in the miles. I've put in the miles. Like maybe we get a break as mid-aged uh, um, investors because people know us already and we can pass on the frivolous trips. Even though we like meeting people face to face, maybe we just stick with our closer networks at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I have to say, at least for now, that's the one thing I don't miss is, you know, getting on, going to the airport every week, twice a week. And, uh, telling you, I'm loving it. Um, yeah, it's good for us middle-aged guys. It yeah. was okay when I was in my twenties or thirties, but, um, yeah, it wears on you. And what, what are the seventies like? <laughs> <laughs> JP said to us that. So uh, how old are you? 
Oh, you can't ask that. Oh, um, you can. You're not a chick. I, I'm a Gen X, Gen Xer. You're I'm a Gen a, Xer. So you're like 48, I'm 49. Just, I'm I'm stalling because I'm working out the math. <laughs> I think I'm 51. <laughs> but in euros, you're 70. See, it's euros. Well, it depends on the. Not today. I think it went down. Yeah, we. Uh, you have a big brain, so I wanted to talk to you. I talked to one of your old comrades in banking at Dresner, and we didn't talk about Dresner. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that today with JP, who's like locked down and very specific. Yeah, he's very creative point. about his lockdown because I think he has he has you know the pacemaker and yada. You yeah, know, he's got to be a little more protective. Me, I just ordered Domino's and just shook hands with my driver. He goes, "Isn't this contactless?" <laughs> I said, "Eh." You didn't uh, give him a bees? Uh, what, what's to, the point? It, I'm going to die from the pizza. I might as well kiss him. <laughs> exactly. The, the, what is it in Arizona? Is it two or three? Two or three what? The bees, the cheek kiss. Oh, the cheek kiss in Arizona? No, 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 no. We just pull out our <laughs> rifles and aim it at each other and go, I would have won. But, but that's nice. <laughs> we both pull and we just see who has a bigger gun. And then you just tip accordingly. Uh, everybody's got a gun here. We all have an open container. It's Phoenix. <laughs> so uh, we think the virus will be scared of us here in Phoenix. It's actually finally almost 80 degrees. So so Anthemus is all over the world. So let's give some background, Sean Park and Anthemus. Sure. You want me to give the background? Absolutely. I don't know anything <laughs> about you guys. You write checks. You're a little loose with your money. Sometimes. <laughs> so Anthemus uh, were... I guess about 10 years old, a little bit older. Uh, we invest, our, our, I'll give you our mission statement. Those mm -hmm. are always good things, right? Mm -hmm. So our mission is to invest financial, human, and intellectual capital in the reinvention of finance. Mm -hmm. How's that for yeah, missions? Yeah, that with the pizza, and I'm a little, you just knocked me out. So one more time. <laughs> so we invest financial, human, and intellectual capital in the reinvention of finance. And uh, practically speaking, for people that aren't that interested, they look at us and say, oh, this is an early stage uh, FinTech VC. And they're not wrong, but we, we do a little bit more than that. And uh, and we've got, as, as the mission statement uh, belies, you know, big hubristic um, dent the universe ambitions. Um, so yeah, and we've been, uh, we've been doing this for, as I said, about 10 years, even, before officially becoming Anthemus, uh, probably about 12 years, my co-founder Amy Nakis and I both uh, worked for many, many years in uh, investment banking, mainly in capital markets. Amy worked a little bit in wealth management. Um, I spent my career, I'm a bond trader, mm -hmm. uh, and I say that in the present tense because I think once you're a bond trader, you're always a bond trader, anyway, even though I don't yeah. actually trade bonds anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and Amy was, so I worked at Paribas in Paris and London for many years, and then Dresner, as you mentioned, with JP in London, uh, and left at the end of 2006. I was co-running our global credit business, uh, and that was clearly going to end in tears, and there was a lot more interesting things going on uh, in terms of reinventing finance through enabling technology. And uh, so I took the leap, and then I, I somehow cajoled Amy to do the same about uh, a year later. She was running... Uh, Part of Barclays Wealth, uh, the stockbroking business. I think she, you know, doing all the. This is back in two thousand seven, eight, uh -huh. or, um, and uh, and we got together and we actually started officially um, in the summer of two thousand eight, which was a really good time to start 
an investment firm. It really, um, it was. It's never, it's never a good time, never a bad time. It just is. And so, uh, and you say that sarcastically, or it really was a good time, like in terms re- of the both, trend. Both, um, and you know, we we actually we we sort of work started working on our plan uh, in the spring and over the summer. And, uh, you know, both said to each other, okay, we're going to go all in on this. This is a startup. Um, uh, and um, so, you know, we're going to be doing this for the next 20 years. So let's, uh, you know, have some, you know, nice final good holidays that summer. And we're going to hit the ground running on, in September. This mm-hmm. is again, September 2008. And Amy's based in New York. I, I was based in London in the process of moving to Geneva. And so we had a whole plan, and the start of the plan was, uh, I can't remember exactly the dates, but sometime early September, I was flying to New York, and we were going to see all sorts of people, all the people that we used to work with, and, you know, raise a bit of money and, you know, change the world. Um, and uh, I remember her calling me, uh, I don't know, about a week before I was going to go, and this was, again, early, so late, maybe late August. This is literally like starting a fund mid-February this year yeah, yeah. exactly and yeah. Uh, she said well maybe i think all our meetings are going to get canceled and maybe you should not come and i said amy you know i've i've i own the startup ethos i bought these really cheap non-refundable tickets and <laughs> booked my hotel room with uh-huh. the you know prepaid cheap rate uh-huh. and so i might as well come and you know you and i can keep noodling on our plan and who knows and uh, uh and actually you know it's way easier to say this 12 years, what, yeah, 12, almost 12 years later. But it really did galvanize us in a way because mm-hmm. when we were going through all of our, 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 our grand plans, the, the, the risk factor that kept coming up was, is this the right time? Um, is there, you know, we, we had, for good or bad, we had complete conviction that all this was going to happen. But as, you know, risk managers, traders, investors, we knew timing is, timing was important and not timing like, these days, if you're day trading markets, but you know, is this year, next year, um, and and actually, when the world started falling apart, we said, you know, yeah, it is the time now. Um, when I left Dresner at the end of '06, one of the reasons I left, I created actually, uh, J- got convinced JP to, um, and everybody inside the firm thought it was cra- he was crazy, maybe he was, but he was the CIO, uh, um, you know. Chief Information Officer ran all the tech business at, at Dresner, yep. and he came and joined me um, in a new unit that I created. A sort of a, somehow managed to convince uh, the CEO and, and the head of capital markets that, to create this thing called digital markets, which was um, the premise was pretty straightforward: it was that all trading businesses were going to become and we're already becoming technology businesses. And if we organized ourselves differently, you know, Dresner was probably like the, I would say the smallest of the 20 big global banks. Mm-hmm. We were in that cohort, but we're right at the sort of the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember my pitch partly was too, if we were Deutsche Bank or JP Morgan or whoever, you know, it wouldn't make sense, right? Because you don't cannibalize yourself, but we had nothing to lose um, or a lot less to lose. At least that's what I thought. And, you know, we should be really bold and we set this up it took me about a year. It's, we started operating so slowly at first, and every step of the way, it was like pulling teeth. Yeah. And all my peers on the management committee, all the guys that you know, uh, my co-head of Global Credit, the guy who ran equities, the guy who ran FX. All you know, we were organized very traditionally across products. None of them thought it was a good idea. Um, and 
you know, it was just this inertia. And they would, you know, they would also say, remember, again, this is like 05, 06 time frame. You know, the world's never been better. We've never made so much money. It's all great. Like, why, you know, why are you rocking the boat? This is crazy. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I, it came to a point where, you know, I was convinced. I said, well, the only way this is not going to happen in a big organization. And actually what was really helpful as I was as a side hustle, um, I was uh, put in charge or I managed to, you know, by default because I was the only one that was interested. I was, I was running what we called, because we copied Goldman, pr Principal Strategic Investing, which was like corporate, today would be called CBC. Uh -huh. And through that, um, you know, got to spend a good amount of time with my peers in, diff in all the different big Wall Streets and European investment banks. And, and sort of came to realize that the problems I was facing or the, you know, sort of the inertia and, uh, you know, apathy is actually maybe even a better word than inertia was endemic. Um, if I'm honest, I probably thought maybe it was just some, you know, problem that Dresner had because we were this weird German bank owned by an insurance company or what have you. And I think when I realized that, that this was not a problem that with Dresner, this was, you know, um, big organizations, you know, turkeys don't vote for Christmas or, um, I love it. I think it's an Upton Sinclair quote that I'm going to mess it up, but the gist of it is never try to convince a man of something if his uh, livelihood on, depends on him not understanding it. Yep. Um, and, uh, and, you know, took a very, you know, at the time, uh, if I'm honest, was a lot scarier than I, my self-esteem uh, would have wanted it to be, but mm -hmm. I, I handed in my notice and, uh, uh, and uh, you know, didn't look back from there. And today it's a couple hundred million or over a hundred million, the fund? Uh, in total assets under advisement, we have a number of different vehicles and balance sheet. I think it's, I should know this number, but we just closed a couple things. It's probably around 500 million. Fantastic. So you, um, if I were to ask you about panic, you, you kind of didn't have time. You were just building a business. Yeah. And actually this is why, you know, panic with friends Clearly, this situation is in in so many ways is very different. But the the sense of you know angst and you know volatility and unknown and uncertainty, um, again, that's kind of galvanized Amy and I because if you're investing in building the future, um, you need to don't get me wrong, you need to survive the today. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to worry too much beyond. And again, don't get me wrong, that's can be hard sometimes. I'm with you. It's it's we're like, if we say it wrong, we're going to insult so many. So I get it. But we're, yeah. this is this is a, the podcast that people understand. We're just talking about. But one if you subject. survive today, you know, you're what 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 the risk that we were taking then and that we're continuing to take today is being directionally right or wrong about what the future ten years from now looks like. Correct. And not what what the S and P closes at tomorrow or Correct. even next quarter or December thirty first. Um, so it's actually, and I, I grew up, you know, until I started Anthemist 16 years, as I said, I was a bond trader and then, you know, credit derivatives and, you know, I was always a trader. So I'm very conscious. And I always thought that was much more stressful. So stressful. And hard in a different way um, than, you know, doing what we do now. Um, it doing is. What we Listen, do now. let me give you an example. I have um, my biggest position is Apple. I'm not that big in the market. And then today I had Apple puts on. Just, you know, just because I think the market's going down. I don't tr ever trade. And I'm like more aggravated about that trade than I am about the, you know, I'm like, reminds me why trading is the, like, 
it's a beautiful thing, but it's also the most aggravating thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And the number of times and I, I was in a, I was a pretty good trader, but I wasn't, uh, you know, I'm not Alan Howard or any, and I, and I, I think I always had enough self-awareness to know that, but the, you know, and I think even for the, you know, the, the rock stars of trading, the number of times where you're right, but you're wrong because of timing or, or, you know, where you sort of conceptually are right, mm -hmm. but, but the market doesn't, you know, you don't trade it properly. Correct. Um, wrong vehicle, wrong, wrong strike, vehicle, wrong, wrong timing. Mm. You get stopped out. Mm. Um, you know, it is, is huge. Whereas what I find nice about venture is, um, those things don't happen and it just comes down to, you know, directionally are you right or wrong now? So you can have individual failures and be right. And we've had those. And I think every venture investor has those, but the, the payout skew yeah. is such that you can afford those more. Yeah. You know, and you and I have the exact same other than a few times. This is why it's fun to talk to you. Cause it makes me feel smart. Cause I know you're smart and I'm just an idiot <laughs> eating pizza, doing podcasts. The, um, the, I think when guys like you get what I'm doing is more exciting than making money. You know what I mean? Oh because yeah, I, absolutely. Well, well, that yeah, but that's now you're being a braggado about yourself. So hang on, let me finish. No, no, no. Okay. No, you know what I mean. It's just when smart people that I respect, whether it's you or Fred Wilson or JP, are chatting with me. I'm like, first of all, I'm pinching myself, uh, not to blow smoke up our guest's ass, but I'm pinching myself because I developed my own thesis on my own by how I live and see the world. And so when you see smart people who have done this before, you know. Uh, do this, you're always scared. Like, every, you know, that's the thing about trading is you're always, you're always, it's you against the world. Um, but I always saw the world as like, I just want to do it myself, you know, yeah. whether it's comedy or whether it's trading or whether it's investing. And so you and I just, I forget how we met originally, but we both saw the world the same way. And I, you came from a world that I was like, Ooh, if he sees the world that way, I feel a little better about myself. Cause you see the world, more as like an individual than you do as an organization because you've been very much about the do-it-yourself thing yourself and really interesting fintech investments. Yeah, I was trying to remember actually how we met, and I'm not exactly sure, but I, I'm pretty sure I can put it into context is in the sort of early noughties, maybe mid-noughties, there was this, um, remember when blogs were a thing? Yeah. I don't know if they're still yeah. a thing, but there yeah, was this sort I, of yeah. underground world of you know, finance bloggers. Uh -huh. um, and there weren't very many of us. And I remember it might have actually even been, I remember another person that where I can probably point to it more is a guy called Josh Reich. I, you know, one no, of the simple. Uh -huh. um, but there was this sort of diaspora that, you know, found itself. And, and uh, you know, I remember the number of times that I had to explain to my peers and uh, colleagues uh, you know, why I was writing a blog, like that seemed like a really frivolous waste of time thing to do. Um, but, uh, but it, you know, I met so many, you know, I would say the, the founding, um, uh, nation of FinTech. Um, that's, that's how, yeah, you know, found it that's how days. I found it through Fred and Brad and a bunch yeah. of people. Roger was doing it. We got, everybody got everybody else doing it, even if it was just yeah. our own circle. So what was the first I mean, I want to talk about bond trading. We'll go. To, we'll come to the markets at the end. So let's just talk about okay. the business. So now your average check size is what in fintech? Um, 
I actually don't know what the average is because that'd be kind You'll of do misleading. every level. I don't want, yeah. I don't want to sound like a statistician, yeah. but I, I can maybe break it a up range, into a range. Yeah. So we, we invest, um, uh, mostly in early stage. So to use the jargon pre-seed to a, we do a little bit of investing later than that, but usually those are follow-ons and, um, on the small, on the pre-seed, you know, angel type uh, friends and family type rounds, we can write checks as small as as small as need be, sort of thing, um, and uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars um, in, you know, sort of pre-seed uh, or C plus A, which is probably our sweet spot. It obviously depends on the company and and the you know, we, we always try to size our checks to the. You know, we're very conscious about capital structure, probably because we're, you know, we're old, you know, markets people. But mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know, I would say two to five million as an initial check. Right. Um, typically, um, probably our biggest positions over time, we've put, you know, 10 or around 10, maybe 10 or 15 million into uh, over time. Mm-hmm. Um and the first big one was, is it Weatherbell? Was your first big one? Yeah, that, that was probably, well, the first big one that predates Anthemus. And actually, you know, I was being a little bit disingenuous when I said I was really clever and brave to resign from my, my big um, master of the universe job at an investment bank. Uh, it was a company called Betfair. Have you ever heard of Betfair? Mm, that's right, Betfair. You were early in that. So yeah, and and Betfair taught me so many lessons. One that it's 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 important to be smart, but it's also important to be lucky. Um, two that capital, and this is actually one of the things I'm looking forward to. Maybe uh, as a consequence of the this this current turmoil we're in, is that capital structure and capital raised matters. So you know, Betfair, I think in terms of primary capital only ever raised, I'm going to guess this was in 99, 2000. So it was a long time ago, but only raised 3 million pounds. I want to say, Oh my God, um, what, a, what a, what a phenomenon that was. Um, you know, and that's, that makes it a lot easier to get to, you know, it was 140 X at IPO. Um, and then it probably doubled or maybe tripled at the top tick, um, post IPO. Um, you know, this is over 15 years, right? Yeah. So it wasn't overnight, but, but because they, you know, it, you know, it became a very big company. It's now merged with an Irish betting company called Patty. Yeah, uh, it's humongous. And now they own a lot of and U.S. companies. Big, and, but, yeah. but at IPO, if I recall correctly, it was big, but it was not some, it wasn't Facebook. But, but when you only raised 3 million pounds, which I guess at that time would be maybe $5 million, call it, um, mm. maybe six, uh, you know, if you have a, billion plus dollar company at the end uh the returns are very very good yeah. whereas you know in this last you know people have all maybe forgot about this but the last couple of years there's a lot of these unicorns like some of them you know have raised uh, hundreds of millions of dollars 300 yeah, 400 and, million so the last round makes two and, times their money but they're getting all this press yeah they you know oh yeah it's four billion dollars well they raised three and a half so mm-hmm. you know and that's not on the bank balance anymore so I'm not sure about that, but I, I think one of the big changes coming, and we'll go back to where we were at, is that I think it's going to be cool to be lean again. You know, like yeah, I think so, or be or be uh, yeah, like lean or but uh, lean well, creative lean. and do do more with less. Disciplined, yeah, disciplined. I like that because lean lean can connote like 
you know, being too, you know, I, I don't know, too, right. too skinny. And, um, <laughs> you know, again, what we try to look at, and I don't think it's, this is very clever, it's sort of one-on-one, but, you know, does the amount of capital make sense for the the opportunity, how, well, how big can this business be, the unit economics, and do you need that, you know, do you need that to get from A to B? Like, this is like um, business building slash, you know, investing 101. And I think we lost that a little bit in the last of we few lost years. It because there right? hadn't been a recession in 12 years. And a lot of smart people, not their fault, graduated in 2009 through 2020 from Stanford's and Harvard's and whatever. And so globally, socially connected world and valuations exploded. It's nobody's fault. It just was. And so I think it's going to be harder for people to grok the grind down here, you know? Um, I mean, the question we always ask, and we have since day one, and I'm sure we will until we stop doing it, um, when we, you know, I wouldn't say first meeting, but we're interested in the company, we're leaning in, we're doing our work, is, you know, why are you raising X? Um, and X can be anything, a million dollars, a hundred million dollars. Why, why, why that number? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, 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 again, it's got sort of got worse and hopefully it'll get better now. But in the last couple of years, you know, oftentimes they'd look at us like, you know, the entrepreneurs would look at us like we had four heads. Well, you know, cause that's what engineers you know, cost. No, not even that. It was like, well, that's what a series a round oh, for, right. yeah. you know, a payments company or like whatever it is, like that's, that's the going thing. And it's, you know, that might be, you might actually come back to that after, but, but you need the starting point is we need to raise, you know, 3.6 million. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to over-engineer in the spreadsheet either, but, I, but you know, because this is what we're going to do and this is how much it's going to cost and all the rest of it. And this is what we're going to achieve. And then once you've established that the number you need to raise is $3.6 million, then you might say, well, we can get, then you look at dilution and what's available and, you know, do we want to buy insurance or not yeah. um, by raising more or less? And you can have a really interesting conversation around that. So the idea isn't that there is a, there is a perfect number. Um, and by definition, even, you know, even in that first approximation, there's a bunch of assumptions, <laughs> but it, you know, what is your thinking? And, you know, the thinking also should be as an entrepreneur. And again, Anthemis, while we're a venture investor, we start, we're a startup ourselves and, you know, our structure is a bit different. We started as a holding company. We have permanent equity that, that we built a platform and now we do traditional LPGP funds as well. But, you know, the mindset uh, of an entrepreneur should be, um, you know, I dilution and, you know, I, I don't want to sell more equity than necessary, but I also don't want to be so clever that I don't, you know, sell enough, but it's a, it's a thoughtful process. And again, in the last year or two, especially, that kind of went out the window a bit Gone. because you know, Gone, Series dude. A is this, and not only I that, can get this value. it was exactly <laughs> that, and then it just kept creeping, right? You kept saying, eh, and then you would just, I don't know, how, yeah. what, what's on page ten that's going to be on page one, and yeah. and that's our business. It's like you would just look at each other and go, and and for me, it was like all the spacs, you know, the roll ups into spac space. Uh, if you look back over the last three, four months, it was space, uh, DraftKings, you know, deservedly or not, because it's a great yeah. idea, rolled themselves into a SPAC. And then you had all these fintech exits over like six, seven months, Schwab buying TD, uh, Morgan buying E-Trade, PayPal buying Honey, 
um, Visa, Visa buying, buying plaid. Yeah. And I'm going, and then I started seeing FinTech deals a month ago, like beginning of February, a 20 pre FinTech deals. And smart guys who had success. And I'm like, yeah. that, I just pat, like I was just like, sorry guys, I don't care if it's uh, you're going to cure cancer. I'm not investing at 20 million pre. I wouldn't even, you know, I would say up front, I'm like, I'm, I'm embarrassed for myself, not you. Go get what you want. But um, I just was saying no, 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 no. Because, you know, I'm used to four to eight because fintech takes so long. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and sure enough, that was the top like a month ago or six weeks ago. <laughs> and it wasn't about the buy. It was just all these signs. And people weren't yeah. being creative because if I'm Plaid, it's not Plaid's executives fault that they're flushed with cash at the top of the market because no one knows what yeah. the top is so it's not their fault that they're throwing 50k 100k of top money you know paid out to them into the best founders that they can find because they're not valuation sensitive when you have sloppy money yeah. and so it just kept feeding on itself and now it's so obvious right oh i could point to this one deal as the top <laughs> and uh, you can't but like man it's no, sure. and actually, it's hard though because the counter is, um, you know, I, I often say, you know, periodically say to my investment team that early stage venture valuations don't matter, but they do. And what that means is, you know, they, they do matter. So, not on any individual deal, the counter, the sort of cliched counters, well, what if it's WhatsApp? You know, it doesn't yeah. matter if you're in it 10 pre or 50 pre. Well, no, but, you know, how many of those are right. there really? Right. Um, and, and really, can you pick that ahead of time? Because if you can, you know, forget LPs and all the rest of it, you know, just compound for a couple of years and you'll be fine. Right. Um, really but, good point. Um, good way to say it. Uh, but uh, so so in some instances, you know, if you find the a great company, great founders and all the rest of it, it, if I'm honest, and maybe I shouldn't say this out loud because people are listening, but, you know, whether it's, you know, eight or 10 or six. Makes no or, difference. You know, makes no makes difference. Makes no difference. No but, difference. and then, then, you know, everyone's nodding, but we run a port, you know, we're risk managers. We run a portfolio. What we actually do for our shareholders and our investors is run that portfolio. And on a portfolio basis, it actually does matter. Yeah. Um, and again, not down to, it's not like trading, uh, well, now everything, it doesn't matter. But like in a normal flat market, you know, Exxon at price X is a deal and Exxon, you know, 10% higher is maybe not such a deal. Correct. It's not that, but it's, it's uh, you know, you have to have some discipline. And the hardest thing for us in the last couple of years um, was, and, and we came down on both sides of this, um, was, okay, no, we just, we love this, but that's just the wrong price and we need to stay disciplined. Um, or we love this and we'll swallow our, you know, we'll, okay, we'll take a leap and, you know, and, and oftentimes I'm trying to think now, if I can generalize the ones where we did take the leap, um, we doubled down on our diligence and like analysis and conviction and, and almost always, I would, I would even go so far as always it, what there was an, a number of reasons that we thought this was the last time we could get in. Yeah. Uh, either literally the last time they'd be raising capital or, you know, the next time they would, it would be completely out of our mandate and league in terms of, so um, true. 
So true. I mean, you're saying this and the only other person who talks like this, um, Roger, I'm going to have on next week, but Fred Wilson was like, he always, we always joke and he goes, well, it's not you. I mean, but he says, if you love everything about it, don't worry about the price. Meaning he's not saying on over the whole portfolio to do that, but he's like, yeah. Howard, you did the work. You love this thing. You're pitching me. I like you pitching it. Uh, what are you worried about if it's 10 or 20, if it's going to be a yeah. billion? And that's how I miss Twitter. That's how I miss Zynga. Uh, that's how I missed, um, well, maybe those are the two but, valuations. But you remember those ones that you missed that worked out, although Zynga would have you got out on, yeah. No, I mean, meaning Zynga, I loved it at three, but when it got pitched yeah. to me at 17, like six weeks later, I'm like, no. Yeah. And but you remember is, those ones, but do you remember all the ones where you said no and they didn't? Of course you don't. Actually exactly. Turn out to be well, because I don't want to know because, because <laughs> the reason I said no was not because of the, it was, be, but I was so, the founders were so good. Yeah. And the, and the people behind it were so good. It was just stupid to complain about valuation because they had done their work. And, yeah. um, in the public markets, it's so different because you can, you can change your mind the next day and get liquid. So I think yes. what you're saying, it doesn't matter, but it really does matter over the portfolio, which is exactly the way Actually, to say it. Cause to, to truly outperform, you have to take some risk. And, yes. and, and yeah. but you have to have a, well, this is like any, uh, I think this is like any trader investment. You have to have a plan and you got to stick to it mostly. Mm-hmm. And when I say mostly, it's also important to have that little safety valve of, you know, being, but, but it needs to be, it, it, it needs to be that little safety valve. Right. And again, I, I learned that in trading, right. You need to have a risk man, you know, a plan, a trading, yeah. a risk management framework, and you cannot, the, you know, you, you need to stick to it almost universally because, you, you know, you, the, the whole point about having a plan is the times where you're tempted not to stick to it um, is exactly a time when you need to stick to it. Yeah, so true. Do you remember the first time you panicked? Uh, As a trader, a bond trader? As a bond trader, someone. Yeah, you- yeah. Um, it was a weird time. This is in the early nineties. I was a junior bond trader and everything was done by voice and, and market makers used to make markets to each other in enormous sizes. It's actually, um, the young bond traders of today would be shocked like 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually I remember actually probably the first time I panicked is when, uh, Alan Howard was a bond trader at credit Swiss. I, I heard he's one of the best Raul Paul was just telling me he was the best ever. And uh, I was at Credit uh, Credit Commercial de France in in Paris, and uh, uh, there was a bond called the Italy. It, I was trading ECU bonds. So ECUs for listeners is what euros used to be called before they were hmm. euros, uh, and before it was a real currency. What will they be and, called next? Uh, I don't know. That's Crypto? a good question. Satoshi's. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Deutschmarks. Deutschmarks. Good but uh, yeah, and he called uh, called up and asked for a price in Italy, 2011. So this is 91. So these are 20-year bonds, super high duration. And I guessed, you know, you always had to guess which way. You know, th- actually, it was it was a really weird market. You were trying, if you were if you were making a price, you were trying not to trade because by definition, if you trade, especially someone like Howard, you, that means you had the wrong price. Got it. And, if you're trading uh, against him, you're fucked almost. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, uh, and he lifted me, so, which means, you know, he bought them and I, 
I knew then I was like, Oh, I'm not in a good place. And it was, was one of those classic things. I think it was like lunchtime or right? sort of end of lunch. And the guy who ran the desk had, you know, he'd be back like two minutes later and the, you know, what I should have done was not answer the phone. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and actually my panic there was, well, clearly about losing money, but actually was about getting fired um, for doing Double something. Double panic. You weren't yes, the boss exactly. and the, uh, that's so interesting. And when was the last time you panicked? Because it's different now. You have kids and travel. And do you remember panicking at all recently? No, and not really. And I think, um, again, when you're our age, mm -hmm. you start to know yourself better. I think that's one of the things that have has has helped me succeed in the my chosen path, as they say, is that um, I, there was a guy who used to work for me, a lovely guy, super smart, Oxbridge, you know, J.P. Morgan, securitization trader. And uh, one day he said, you know, Sean, you've got this calm prairie demeanor. That, <laughs> Calgary that's your boy. Calgary boy, exactly. And uh, um, so, so, so I don't panic. No, I don't really panic. Um, yeah. Good. I, I, uh, I sense as you is panic. Sometimes I just feel like uh, the best investors. Uh, that's what panic with friends is about. It's like I'm trying to, you can really, people are like, why aren't these bastards panic? I think people are enjoying the show because no one's panicked on our show. It's like we've all seen this crap. We haven't seen this crazy. No, it's always different, but. You know, and the extreme is, um, you know, some of the the legends of trading, which I think is actually a lot harder than investing. Way harder. You know, if you know, like I've I've known some of them, not not I wouldn't say they were friends, but sort of enough to sort of understand what they might like meet people. You know, they often have they're somewhere on a spectrum, right? So they take it to another extreme, where um, you know, there's one, you know famous uh, hedge fund manager, I think he's still alive, but, you know, from the 90s where I'm pretty sure whether he lost or made, like, if you met him 10 minutes after losing a billion dollars or 10 minutes after he made a billion dollars, you wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Like, I paid for pizza today and I'm a little pissed. Like, you can tell that I'm <laughs> upset. <laughs> Canute hasn't picked up the tab once. I didn't, I didn't offer. The, uh, but, you know, but, but on that, this is also sort of knowing yourself. One of the things I like about venture investing, you talked about just a few minutes ago, you can't trade out of it. I right? love so that part. I love it that part. It creates an energy barrier. You got to do your work up front. You got to yep. have conviction. Yep. But then you can't trade out of it. So, you know, Betfair, I mentioned, they mm -hmm. were a private company for 10 or 11 years right. um, until they went public. I would have sold out of that like seven times. Totally. Over Robinhood, um, a public company in the old days, I would have been out before a billion. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's uh, over trading is a thing, mm -hmm. and uh, so when I say I don't panic or whatever, I'm not like some ice man or whatever. Yeah, I get it. Um, You've but, chosen um, a profession that allows you to be the best you investor, which is what I have yeah. to do. And and again, I, I I when I look at the markets and people that. Uh, Actually, we had a call with some of our LPs the other day, and I said, you know, I, our job is hard, but, you know, compared to, like, uh, investing in public equities, mm -hmm. it's easy, right? Oh, because my God, dude. This is why my whole thesis is just because I sucked at it doesn't mean everybody in the, else in the world. Sh it's like fire. Trading to me is like fire. 
right? And yeah. I guess this is, you know, we're in the same space for different reasons, even though, and we'll find out yours. But my reason is, fuck, I hated it. I was Jim Cramer, and I'm not as good or bad or whatever. I was just <laughs> like, but even though I hated myself and hated everything about being a hedge fund and a trader and an investor, uh, why would why would I deny that? I said, like, everybody should feel this shitty or good. And that was my thesis. Is like, once you've tasted it, it's the greatest yeah. thing in the world, which led to my thesis of, who cares if they like being a hedge fund? Why shouldn't they have the chance to be a hedge fund? Because it's just you matching wits against everybody. And so, and there's a so million that's tools. interesting. So that so still I, is my I thesis today. I had the opposite. And this is one of the reasons. Um, so maybe for full disclosure, we're a small LP in, in your fund, social leverage. Are you? And one of the, I yeah, we are doing paperwork. See, I don't do you any of the paperwork. Start paying attention. Yeah. Um, but one of the reasons, cause you know, we've really liked a lot of the, the, the investments that you've made over the years. Please keep doing them in like the capital markets trading space. Yeah. And if you look at our portfolio, if you're very astute and we, we invest all across financial services from insurance to consumer, to, and and in principle, in capital markets and trading, it's not outside of our mandate. We really haven't ever done anything there. And one of the reasons is, is the same lesson that you had, but the opposite conclusion is, I'm going to super oversimplify and sound patronizing, but I don't think anybody should be trading anything, right? No, um, no people think, oh, how could you do this? I go, because the only way to learn is to burn yourself. But that doesn't yes. mean you shouldn't burn yourself. I've never, I've never thought of it that way. But then we would have to invest in, and that, you know, I say never. We are investors in eToro, uh-huh. um, but yeah, philosophically, yeah, I didn't love it when I did it. But the, based on what he knew and what I thought humans were like, and what I thought yeah. the size of the accounts were small, I'm like, let people learn. The faster they learn, yeah. And it's up to the company to figure out, hey, if the churn's too high, let's figure out. And Yoni's idea was always, well, our goal is to help people last six months longer than the average account. And I'm like, okay, doesn't sound perfect, yeah. but that's true. The numbers are great. If you can educate people, they last six long, months longer on your platform. How is that different than university where they leave you out in the world with 100K in debt? Why is that any worse? I'd rather spend oh, yeah. 30K no. losing money on eToro. That's quite an education versus 200 grand of money that I borrowed to get something that gets me nowhere. So that's, that's a whole other call. But that's philosophical uh, is all I'm saying. I was like, when people no, tell yeah, me. just the like, idea of edu- higher education, oh, um, you know. Over. That's so, going to change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thank God I'm not in that spend, space because it's such a clusterfuck. dollars to go to, you know, insert elite crazy university and your parents are going to go to jail because they had to bribe someone and blah, blah, blah. That was the top two, and, you're right. And you can't hang out with, the future is captains of industry, but it's all like e- online learning. I don't think that's going to play. Uh, so. yeah. No, <laughs> online learning is going to become like poker. It's a phenomenon. Uh, I don't yeah. know how it plays out. I'm glad I'm not in this space because it's very, uh, it's big, but it's just so chaotic. Whereas trading already had a language, trading already had something to copy you know, real university is going to be so different because you got all this legacy issues and you've got. Well, gonna- the other here, I want to, the other thing on, on just on that, I wanted to ask you the other reason why we've, you know, often avoided those kind is in the early, do you remember like the predecessors to Robin Hood and eToro and all that was. Sure. Was actually, tech really, and, uh, well, and it was even in the UK, it was actually more prevalent um, with the binary the trading and the IG yeah. indexes. Yeah. yeah con- contracts for differences in binary trading and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we were, you know, they, they all, the, 
the big investment banks, not just Dresdner, but all of it, you know, we made the markets behind them, right? To, oh God, they were getting um, killed. Yeah. And well, no, well, no, you were killing were them. The customers were, no, yeah. we, both us and the, the businesses were doing great. The customers were getting killed. Yeah. And there was a thing um, that was sort of the ugly secret. Um, I guess, it, you know, there was A books and B books. So if you ran one of these spread betting companies um, or, you know, like these trading companies, what you would do, and this is like the early usage of sort of AI or machine learning, is you would watch them. And when I say you, your machines would watch them trade for an hour, for a day, for a week. It sort of depended on the velocity of trading and decide whether they went into A book or B book. <laughs> Have you ever heard this? The moosh. Yeah, it's like Vegas. Yeah. And so up and, and in, for most of them, uh, and we saw all like the reason I know this is because we were market makers and prime brokers for these firms. Like we would see all their, you know, all well, the numbers yeah. and, and their flow. And essentially 90% of customers would be put in the, in the B book. Sure. And the B book was the book that you didn't trade against. You just took the other side of their <laughs> trades. And you on just, just skim them, like make them last as long as possible. Well, don't, you don't even have to skim them. You literally take the other side of the trade yeah. and they lose, yeah. um, you know, systematically. And the A book was the guys that knew what they were doing and that you would hedge. And, uh, and actually the, the most aggressive and actually the best and most profitable of those businesses. You put money behind. They, they, yeah. You, you wouldn't care if you lost money on the hedge. So you wouldn't even care about making a turn. It's just like get out of the position. Mm. And uh, if you were really aggressive, you just, you, yeah, you'd follow them. Um, wow. And, uh, well, it's kind of Etoro's model, that, like long term. It's very They're cynical, right? It's very cynical. And that's why I almost didn't do Etoro, but. I just got over it because they had a vision beyond, you know, kind of. Well, the, what we liked about eToro was the social side. Yeah. So I thought, you know, that you could follow traders. I think, you know, I'm oversimplifying, but that, that was clever. Okay. You know, find some smart people and do what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was sort of like, find the, let your customers, let the B book customers follow the A book customers, yeah. basically. That's why I love it because it was everything I thought Twitter and stock twits eventually could be, but we have FINRA and the SEC, yeah. which kind of doesn't allow you to have the A book and B book. One day they yeah. will. And in sports, they're kind of doing it already, which is why sports fantasy was so popular. It's like there is an A book and B book because it's not governed by the SEC and FINRA. So everybody's going to create yeah. the eToro of sports. And um, eventually, that's, well, draft, is, that that's where it's Betfair. all where it's headed. That's where it's all headed. That was Betfair, right? That was Betfair, correct. That's why it was worth so much. And then Weatherbill quickly was your bet on what? The people or? the, the So Weatherbill was not only the first sort of official investment of Anthemus, but it, it, it was a perfect first investment. So it encapsulates everything, which was what Weatherbill did. It became, they renamed themselves to Climate Corp along the way, and then Monsanto bought them. But the original pitch was, you know, 70% of the world's businesses, large to very small, uh, have their profits, their revenues and or their profits are directly correlated to weather. Wow. Um, and, um, you know, there's some obvious ones and there's less obvious ones. And there is no way for any business to manage that risk with the caveat that there actually was a, there. There had been and for some time there was a market for weather risk, but it was. It was an oligopoly. There was about six or seven players, uh, people like Swiss Re, AIG, a couple of the investment banks, not all of them, like Merrill, I think, and Morgan Stanley had weather desks. 
And they only did business, essentially. It was a tiny, big in size, but tiny market. The other side of it was people like uh, Cargill and Archer Daniels Midland and energy companies, right? So, like, I don't know. I don't know the names of the energy, but, like, if you're a Midwest utility. And they would hedge, you know, temperature risk. The utility companies would mainly hedge temperature risk, which affected the demand for, for, for energy. And the ags would... Uh, hedge both temperature and precipitation risk, um, you know, on a bit of macro, like, you know, this is super big institutional, you know, I want to hedge $500 million of temperature risk in the Midwest for six months. Um, for, so clearly there's not a lot of businesses for whom that is of any use. Right. Um, the two founders of Weatherbilt were both working at Google when they started it and had this great sort of beginner's mind, like, this is a the it's a it's a one of these true but sort of apocryphal stories is David Freeberg, uh, who's one of the most brilliant founders, again, good to be lucky. It was one of the first investments in, you know, he was working for Google and he lived across the street uh, from this bicycle sh rental shop in mm -hmm. San Francisco mm -hmm. and noticed that every day it rains, which is reasonably often in San Francisco, mm -hmm. they wouldn't open, right? Um, ah, and he yeah. thought, he thought, oh, that's dumb. And then, you know, that was the thread and he started pulling on it. And long story short, uh, he was introduced to me by Danny Reimer at Index, who I think you know. Um, what a legend. And, uh, and Danny actually met him because they were trying to, I think it, they were trying to sell Skype to Google at that time. Remember, Index was one of Skype's first investors. Anyhow, met him in that context. And David, you know, ah, VC, pigeonhole him. I have this great idea. Danny said, that does sound really great. Um, I'm not, I don't know that, you know, you should talk to this guy, Sean, who I know in London, uh, you know, and that's why I met him. And uh, he came, I remember I talked to him on the phone a few times and then he was in London. I was in London at this time. And I vividly remember this. I can picture it in my head. Late at night, one night, or, you know, late for a trading day, it was maybe seven o'clock in the evening, I'm in my office on the edge of the trading floor. Most of the people have gone home, a few people hanging around. He comes in to give me the demo and the pitch. Uh, and he was in London on, uh, you know, I don't know. I think he was on, I don't know what he was doing in London. Uh, he didn't come just to see me, I don't think. And he pulled up his laptop and, you know, here's five or six parameters, I can't remember, to do a precipitation uh, contract, insurance contract, or derivatives contract in, you know, Orange County in the U.S. for three months. You know, if it rains more than two inches, you get paid out. If it rains less, you don't get paid. Something like that, right? right. So you put in these four or five parameters. He presses a button, and about three seconds later, a price comes back. And the the it was essentially, it's it was like a knockout derivative, so semi-complex option mm -hmm. but you know not super complex but not not a trivial option and i remember not you know not saying anything we sort of discussed this a few months later or whatever he thought that i was horrified that it took three seconds for the price to come back because it and i didn't know this at the time because immediately then he said ah but you know this isn't a production server and plus it's in california and there's probably some latency and blah 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 and he was sort of like and I was sitting there going, if I went out to the, you know, and it was, I was looking at the spot, maybe that's where he saw that I was like disengaged, but I was looking at the spot about 200 yards away in the corner where exotic derivatives trader, options traders sat. And I was just thinking, if I walked out there and asked for that price, 
I would get, you know, maybe if it suits us, we'll call you in three hours. And, uh, you know, like <laughs> if we're interested, um, and I also, that, that was part of the trading culture, but the other thing was I knew that we and all our competitors were, were pricing those kind of options essentially overnight, giant Monte Carlo simulations on giant big iron that cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And intraday, the traders would sort of hack the prices around that, um, around these overnight runs. Um, and I was like, if this is real, this is, this is insane. And, and the enabling technology for that was Amazon web services, because even as a, pre-pre-seed startup to make one price, it was like terabytes of data that they had to store, analyze, and, and price. Um, and, you know, I think even a year into it, when they were still a tiny company, uh, they were processing uh, petabytes of data a month. Um, you know, that's something you couldn't have done without cloud compute and cloud storage. Uh, or the difference is instead of the seed investors having to write a couple million dollar check or a million and a half, and then the A investors writing another four or five, you would have had to raise $50 million out of the box to build a data center. Um, um, so, you know, that was like the light bulb went on is this, these enabling technologies are going to allow the creation of, you know, just completely different business models. Yeah. And, and then we're, and last, we're still there. We're still there. Like, like going no, forward. The last bit on weather bills, when they started to get a bit of traction, um, I remember one time he, he, he came, uh, we were catching up and he said, Oh yeah, I just had this weird sales call. And, um, I said, well, what was weird about it? So we went in and we started, you know, our pitchers usually, for a lot of the people I'm talking to, they had to sort of explain that they had this risk and why it was good. And I went and I started with that. And the guy said, no, 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 we know. We absolutely, you don't have to, you're pushing on an open door. We know we have weather risk. We actually know what it is. And your estimate of it is pretty close, but actually this is what it is. And and he says, okay, are you going to, you know, why haven't you ever, you know, why did you take my call? And it was like one of those weird ones where, you know, if why am I here then? If you yeah. sort of know and you've got this all under control, he said, "Well, you know, our risk is about you know a million. Or, you know, it it I think it was about twenty twenty million dollars or twenty five or thirty million dollars of risk, and um, and uh, none of the the Wall Street banks or the you know the players that I mentioned, you know, they won't do a contract for less than fifty million dollars." Um, and, uh, and, and David, you know, and then they kept talking and I think they eventually became a client, but he's like, why won't these guys, he came back and he's like, why won't, you know, these market makers make a price for less than, uh, $50 million of notional risk. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, well, is the premium on that about, or the, you know, the, the sort of the NAV of the, you know, the, is about 2%. And he said, yeah, and like, and, and I, I'm sure he thought I was some sort of rain man. Like I could price exotic derivatives in my head. And, and he's like, how did you do that? Uh, I was like, no, David, that's a million dollars. That's how they price it. If it, if the trade won't make them a million dollars, they won't do it. And that's when um, I figured it out. Yeah. And, and, he, and then the interesting thing was, well, that's insane. I said, actually, no, it's your opportunity, but it's not insane. Given their business model, their fixed costs, their infrastructure, all the rest of it, it's actually unprofitable for them to do business. You know, a million dollars is an heuristic, but, you know, it's not crazy. And 
what's what's crazy is that that's what their business model is, and that's what you have to go after. Um, you have to go after it, that, and 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 that's the hard part of finding great founders versus they have to have great investors around them to massage the idea. You know, and I think yeah, and then by the way, that company almost died like seven times. Of course, so great companies like whether it was LifeLock or Buddy Media. Uh, there's only a couple, maybe Robinhood. I, I'm not close enough anymore, but where I don't think they ever were close to dying. But Buddy Media, LifeLock, they've all been close to dying. Alley Insider, uh, Blodgett, you know, in the ad business uh, yeah. through 2009 through 2010. Uh, the great ones, just because the model's not perfect. Or um, And here, here's one. Uh, you might have a view on this. Mm-hmm. If, if Amazon, and this is the old bond trader in me, so... Lehman Brothers was the lead manager. I remember this. If Amazon done, hadn't done that $1.4 billion convertible bond, I think in Which everybody laughed at and was shorting again. Um, but that they might not exist today. Yeah. Uh, and that changed the game for them because, you know, then they had, you know, they could sweat it out. It was enough that they could sweat it out. Yeah. Um, and that was like my thing with Musk, which is, you know, I'm happy to buy the stock higher. I bought my kid's stock uh, a couple of weeks ago, finally. But he doesn't seem like he could have raised so much more money when the stock was at $900. Whereas like Bezos always did what it took for the brand, you know, for the company to survive. And it feels like Musk always just fuck it. Like, we'll see what happens. And um, that's kind of risky. Whereas Bezos knew what he needed to get through that. And he didn't care yeah. if people were shorting the stock or whatever. He had the building yeah. for it. And he got it. And that's all, uh, that's all he like needed. It was the money. Yeah. You don't worry about your stock price or where you're at today. Just have the capital and the vision to get through it. So where, like the hot, we'll end it with this. Where, like, when you guys think of things, where the where the hot trends where you're trying to focus on, like, or the, you know, on the other side of this, or, or, and, and then has anything changed since COVID? So two questions, like, what, where were you focused, and does that change anything with COVID? So on a macro level, it doesn't change with COVID. If anything, I think COVID will be an accelerator. Not, not in the next three months, but again, our time horizons are three to 10 years. Um, so at a macro level, it actually will accelerate a lot of the things that we're betting on in terms of the trends that will support the companies we're investing in. Um, on a micro level, and when I say micro, is like more going in down into like the subsectors and the different parts of the business model stack of finance. It will change some things. Um, in the sense that, uh, again, more in terms of prioritization of what is ripe to be invested in now. Um, so I think, um, and maybe, well, actually completely by luck, this is where we've probably been focusing most of our attention so we don't have to reboot too much in terms of our sort of prospecting and mm-hmm. research and stuff is more, um, the consumer space is, I think, going to, and when I say consumer space, I mean in finance. So like, um, you know, consumer-facing financial services. Uh-huh. I think it's going to be challenging for a little while. I, I, I think, you know, longer term, there's still tons of opportunity. But, um, you know, I'd either want to be in, you know, we might look at something, if somebody comes up with something super clever at the very early stages, that's fine. Because by the time they get to market in two or three years, you know, this should be different. Things really should be point. different. Yeah. Um I think we'd shy away from people in that space or, or the bar would be higher um, for like series A where they, they need to be in market now. Yep. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that will be relatively harder uh, in the, like a lot of the B2B stuff. And again, it's hard to be generalized because it, it really depends, but some of it I actually think will accelerate and it's way, way too early to say, I mean, we're like, 
well, in Europe, we're a little bit ahead of you guys, but, you know, we're a month into this or, um, you know, a few weeks into this. But we've actually seen in some of our existing portfolio companies that are doing, you know, SaaS or other sort of enterprise type sales, business to business sales, some it's sort of bifurcated. It's barbelled. Like mm-hmm. I'm a bond guy. Everything's a barbell to me. So mm-hmm. framing bias, but drop dead or accelerated. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, I have an early hypothesis around that is that um, it's a little bit what we were talking about earlier in terms of valuation stuff. When, when you know, turbulence arise, when crisis, when markets are in turmoil, as they love to say on CNBC, it focuses the mind yeah. and it focuses organizational minds. So instead of like things going through this sort of Kafkaesque, uh, you know, process of committees and meetings and oh i get to come to california we'll do a site visit and you know this and that and all the rest of it it's like fuck that do we want to buy this or not yeah um and the decision making gets pulled upstairs and it becomes much more um you know lucid right it's Mm -hmm. or you know like focused and again that can be then it's dead um but actually again in the startup world uh, if you're a big enterprise seller, dead is bad, mm-hmm. um, is unequivocally bad. You know, muddling along is is better. For startups, actually, I would argue that dead is better than muddling on mm-hmm. along. And of course, yes is 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 absolutely what you need to get to and want to get to. But um, you know, for many many early you know earlyish even mid stage startups selling to businesses. Um, you know, what kills them is the muddling along. Um, yeah. No, no, no. If you don't have it in the muddling, you know, the best time to start business, like you said, you can, you know, it's going to be 18 months to two years. So if you can give people with great vision, the money to get there, things will get better. And I tell the companies that really had good vision, Hey man, when you get through this, there won't be anybody following you for a while. So it's like, you know, with Robin Hood or eToro. It's <coughs> How more, many people it, listen to this? Do any? Nah, it, it's a lot. Surprisingly, but a lot <laughs> for fin- like a lot maybe- relative to to what a podcast. You know what I mean? For me, it's a lot. That's why I keep yeah. doing it. But what were you saying? Well, I used to be really promiscuous in saying what we liked and what we didn't like. Got it. I figured nobody. No, was but I don't like Robo, and yeah, people know um, I don't like Robo. I just don't like things that aren't ten times better. And I, and but and I hate saying that because that's a VC term. I didn't know that VC term, but I'm like, man, even if you're good, the model sucks. That's what I don't like. If I, you know what I mean? I don't even mind if you don't have a model as long as there's growth. But if you're paying a lot for a customer and the model sucks, I'm like, oh, that's just too risky for me. I don't have enough capital yeah. to make that work. So uh, that's so we we see a lot of opportunity insurance, and and if you take that with what I said before, we're, I'm not talking about like consumer facing insurance propositions. Mm-hmm. Again, we don't. You know, we try to keep an open mind to things coming in, but in terms of the way we operate, is more hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, insurance, um, I think we're scratching the surface. Um, you know, insured, insured risks around the world today are, you know, these are made up McKinsey, Gartner type numbers, but I guess they're probably directionally correct. It's probably about a trillion to $2 trillion of risks are insured every year. Um, the risks that shouldn't be insured are probably at least an order of magnitude bigger than that. Um, you know, let's just an order of magnitudes is, is good enough. 
And so what we like about insurance is already if the market was sort of stagnant, uh, like a lot, you know, or GDP growth or whatever. So it's a trillion dollars. That's a big market to go after. Uh, and there's lots of inefficiencies. And, and, you know, we're just getting started in terms of reinventing that stack. And when I say we, I don't mean Anthemis. I mean, we as a society. Or, or, and, but if you add on top of that, the fact that, you know, our hypothesis is that not only, you know, if you do reinvent that stack, um, you enable the reason why there's not ten trillion dollars of insured risk isn't because people are dumb or, or take too much risk. Is that, that given the tools that we have today, it would be inefficient. Like it would be either in some cases probably even impossible, and in most cases highly inefficient to to actually insure those risks. Um, the cost of insurance wouldn't you know wouldn't make any sense. But um, but with technology, all of a sudden you can start. Uh, you know, start digging into that uh, that the iceberg under the water. Um, all these all these risks that aren't insured that in the future could be because you can do. So it's, that's it, where actually, it's going because I don't know if kids think about it, but eventually they all must. That's the only thing sorry? I can't project is where my millennials do they care about insurance? Will they ever? But, that's ah, but not I don't the care question. about consumers yeah, that much. Got it. I care about businesses got and it. government. So would you? Yeah. Okay. So then that's just over my pay grade. So that's why you know I haven't done an insurance deal. But I'll start. But even look at like look at this pandemic, right? Like one of the things that like now everybody's becoming an expert on. Good well, point. So this could bring back insurance, but, but yeah. like supply chain risk, right? Oh. And so, and when I say insurance too, I don't mean like the policy that you buy. Uh, I, I mean insurance in the largest sense. So you know, insurance is having. Um, you know, insurance is having uh, five billion masks in a strategic reserve at a national level. Mm-hmm. or, you know, at a corporate level, you know, that's obviously a very narrow and topical example, but the idea of like building in, you know, intertwining the physical world with the digital world and building in, you know, having those two things become, you know, inseparable in terms of, uh, in terms of risk management. So you might say somebody's writing pandemic insurance. I don't think anyone does, but maybe in the future you could. And the way you would hedge yourself as an insurance company wouldn't be by, you know, it's not financial instruments. You would, you would build uh, factories that can produce uh, protective equipment. And, to hedge, uh, yeah, that's interesting. To hedge the risk, right? That's, that's going to um, happen. So insurance, so that's exciting because you won't have much competition in that space at the beginning for a while. But that's yeah, the, that's so. the legacy of the look back that insurance will be important from that aspect. I keep thinking about it wrong. I keep thinking about like, will my kid ever have anything worth insuring? No, uh, but actually, so the way your kid will do it, and this is our embedded finance thesis. We can do a whole other series podcast of podcasts on that. on that if you want. But is that he won't because in the future that that Max lives in, insurance will be embedded into everything he does, and it will just be, be built into the price. It won't even ask him to sign. Um, this is why I'm a thousandaire and you're a millionaire. This is just, just that, that sums it up right there. <laughs> and Max may be a penny All right. I'm going to, I've seen your yacht in, in the, my yacht. So, uh, thanks for keeping me awake. Cause that was a lot of pizza. I ate. You killed it. And, uh, I think we'll have to have you back often. It's great. That, no, that, that was had, fun. It's great that I have uh, people. You wouldn't have. We wouldn't have this time. I told Canute we did forty or something podcasts already. I got nothing to do for a month. Still, I thought I'd do ten, but I've never sat around. Canute and I, we've never had the time to spend together. Because, well, it's like midnight here, so I'm not sure it's about not having the time, but it's like the mental of like 
yeah, I can do this. Yeah, you can do this because, you know, might as well network and, and keep and, just and going. This, one of the things I'm hoping, maybe we can finish on this, mm-hmm. is I'm always looking for silver linings. So this is obviously pretty crazy what's happening and, mo- um, and mostly bad. Um, but if there's a silver lining, some of these behaviors, I hope we remember them, at, you know, in whether it's in three months or 12 months or 18 months, I hope it's the shorter end of that. But when we come to the other side of this, you know, whether it's, you know, people acting, uh, you know, with community spirit or civilly or like, you know, I don't know if this is happening in the U.S. yet, but in Europe every night, you know, people Singing, go on the balcony yeah. and cheer on the health workers. And uh, clearly, you know, that's not going to happen forever. But the spirit of that and the spirit of like us, like we've known each other forever. How often do we talk? No, there's never time, right? right. So, there's never time, especially for this long a time. So, no, I've really enjoyed it and everybody's rallied around this idea. And it, it, I think... I may have to just add a silver lining question. Can you remind me each time? Because everybody talks about a silver lining because we're all optimistic. So we should add, just make sure we add that question. So thanks for ending with that. I agree with you. It's even my son, right? Like at first it was denial, not because he thinks fake news, but like how does he relate to something like this when they don't have yeah. like network news at night? Second thing was, uh, well, I'm, I screwed up, meaning now you can't come home because you've just been hanging around with your friends. The third thing is I'm freaking out at home alone. And then the fourth thing is, you know, wear gloves and I'll go golfing and walking with my friends and distancing, you know, just walk onto a golf course because, you know, I'm outside because he can't play golf. He has two jobs, right? Like, so, yeah. so now it's like he thinks, okay, you're right. I got a month of golf. I'll just golf really cheap. I won't get on a cart. I'll be really careful and I can go golfing for 30 days. And I said, you, you're absolutely right. Cause this is like your summer right now. Like we're not going to make you work while everybody, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. be responsible. Don't get anybody sick. And, you know, so I think there is, everybody's learning something right now. Yeah. That's the, what is that? The new, that's the, Light, love it in the time of quarantine. Would have in the old days the the uh, middle aged father don't get anybody pregnant. Now it's don't get anyone sick. It's um, don't get anybody sick. And now I don't <laughs> mind if you get somebody pregnant, but he still can't bring her home. The uh, virus ridden. All right, my man. So uh, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Howard. Take See care. Got to take the opportunity with Sean. Especially for me. So that was selfish because I'm just trying to figure out where his head's at. They're LPs of ours and like he's on a different planet. I think he's great. Yeah. So he's JP. The, those guys were in battle together, JP. Oh, wow. So you can kind of see. So he's a Calgary boy and JP's, you know, an Indian from India. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. We went a little deep with FinTech a little long, but uh, you got to give Sean the mic. All right. We'll see everybody soon.